Welcome to Logical, the Gulf region's first and still the only legal podcast. Logical is a regular weekly podcast from the Dubai-based law firm HPL Yamalava and Pleska. I'm Tim Elliott. I'm here at the firm's offices on the 18th floor of Reef Tower in Jumeirah Lakes Towers with the managing partner, Ludmilla Yamalava. Nice to see you, as ever. Same to you. Great to see you. This time... We're going to be talking real estate and specifically, Ludmilla, uh, residential retail properties here in the UAE. Not where to rent or what to rent. That's a very personal choice, probably for another uh, discussion. What we're going to consider is the current state of the market and the things you need to know and what you need to have in place before you take the plunge and rent an apartment, a villa or a palace budget uh, depending. So let's start with how things are now. And I'm going to solicit opinion from you uh, during this podcast. Broadly speaking, your opinion on the rentals market as we sit here mid-summer heat, July 2019. My opinion depends on whose um, view uh, we will be commenting on. So from the la- landlord's standpoint, uh, the market is um, has a lot more choices. There's a lot more availability. There's a lot more inventory. So therefore, landlords, um, there's a lot more competition for landlords to deal with. Right. Uh, from the perspective of the tenant, uh, it's a very good time because of all that, all those reasons. So from the residents' perspective, those who are here and holding regular jobs and um, having families, it's good news because there is a lot more inventory that has come on the market over the last few years and continues to come in uh, into the market. Uh, There are a lot more choices uh, and because of all this, the prices are obviously softening. And that's, uh, in my personal opinion, it's a great benefit for not just the residents, but for the society here in general. And that is because Dubai is once again becoming more affordable. And once it becomes more affordable, it allows many more ordinary people to uh, to live here and continue to live and to move and um, and, and enjoy uh, so many great benefits that this um, this emirate and the country in general have to offer uh, so from the opinion standpoint the market is um, is ripe for tenants to perhaps review their current arrangements if they've been here for a long time and have been renting at a particular particular property for many years this is a good time to perhaps renegotiate either with the same landlord or look elsewhere and this is also the time where we're seeing families couples individuals who perhaps were renting either farther away or smaller properties are now having the options of um, renting closer perhaps to the to where they work uh, or more convenient uh, to public transport uh, and cheaper and so uh, and they can rent bigger properties so instead of a family living for example in a studio all of a sudden the family can afford to rent a two bedroom so i personally consider these are very good signs and it's healthy and it's part of a, a very healthy and ever evolving economy uh, from the perspective of the landlord obviously it it changes their paradigm because many Many landlords for many years had certain expectations of what um, the market price was and um, many of them held and still continue to hold on to these properties because many of the vacant properties uh, Mm -hmm. because they don't want to rent for less. 
Um, so from that side of the equation, it, you, can, you can imagine it's a little frustrating for them and perhaps a little more difficult because they're not getting the rents that they were expecting to get. But um, from the overall society perspective, I think this is, these are good times. It's a renter's market, no doubt about that at the moment. It is a tough time for landlords. It's a tough time uh, from an economic standpoint. Uh, we're in Dubai. Uh, there's no doubt there are deals to be had. But let's go back to what you need to have in place. You have uh, looked around. You found the perfect flat, villa, house, whatever it is. Uh, what do you do first? Well, let's start even a little earlier. How do you find that perfect house? Okay. And that's um, in historically and Perhaps uh, many people still believe today that you can only do so through a broker, a real estate broker. Well, it is not so. A broker certainly is a convenient uh, tool to use um, to, to look at many different choices. And uh, if you find a competent broker, it's a great service. Uh, that being said, it's not a requirement. But and, and I make this point on purpose because in my practice, I've heard many, many times from many different people that... Uh, this uh, assertion that somehow brokers are required to be used by law. It is not so. There is no law that requires the parties to use brokers. So you can directly engage with uh, the landlords and um, you can yourself um, roll up your sleeves and go look at properties and, uh, and avoid dealing with brokers altogether. So that's number one. So decide whether you want to do it on your own directly with a landlord or you want to do it through a broker. Number two, and they related to that same point, Make sure right away, early on, that the broker that you're dealing with actually is authorized to represent that property. Once again, this um, is a point I make because of um, our extensive experience where parties go through the motions dealing with so-called a broker representative of the landlord only to find out at the end of negotiation process that perhaps that person did not have the right authority to represent the landlord. So to avoid wasting time and just to ensure that all parties are on the same page uh, my advice is to early on request those documents from the broker so that you know you're actually dealing with somebody who has legal authority to deal with uh, the landlords as i say that i will also add one more and that is it is not so that um, this particular request is abnormal or or um, somehow unreasonable. Once again, we hear this quite often, that brokers will say, well, no, we will not give this to you because it's too early on or you don't need this. Well, it's if you are considering parting with money for the purpose of, let's say, renting this property and the money that you'll be parting with not is not just the rent money, but also the broker's commission. Mm. So before you do that, absolutely, it is a reasonable request to request all those documents and receive them timely. So. So then that's your second element is just ensure that whoever you deal with, because it's often also, even if it's not a broker, but a landlord's representative uh, who often hold themselves as the landlords themselves until you actually sit down and start looking at the documents, they actually may not be the actual landlord. And the stories you often hear is like, oh, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle, I'm a sister, I'm yeah, some sort of relative. Once again, legally speaking, just because somebody says that they're a spouse, for example, a landlord does not give them the authority to bind uh, that particular property on behalf of um, the owner unless there's, um, there's documents to that effect. And the document in this country is the power of attorney or the POA. And Correct. that has to be, make sure that it's also current. Now, moving on the, down the list of what else to consider, obviously the location is important, uh, location and uh, 
Uh, one important element that many do not consider is just find out early on, for example, what all the services that are important to you and that you are uh, that you are relying on being available to you when you rent the property. For example, a pool, gym, because we often hear as well residents or tenants who've moved in and then X number of months later they complained while well, the pool wasn't open and therefore that's, they, they want to terminate the agreement because they were relying on that pool being open. But if it's not part of the agreement, then you obviously cannot contractually use that as a ground for, for valid termination. That's actually a really good point to make as well, particularly in Dubai, but across the Emirates now, uh, facilities in residential areas, in buildings, in uh, you know villa compounds. Very often there may be a tennis court, a pool, um, but perhaps a gym as well. It's, it's a good idea to really understand what entitlements you have to use them. Yeah, so it's important to understand what's important to you. So if you're mm. renting a particular property, um, sit down and highlight to yourself what is it that attracts you to this property because of the specific facilities, for example, that are important to you and that are part of your consideration, then you need to make sure those facilities will continue to be available to you. Now, we've had cases, for example, where somebody rents a property on uh, along the beach and then only to find out a month or two later, there's construction that starts on the beach and now, well, the beach is no longer accessible. Well, unless the beach is part of the property, contractual, you cannot argue that uh, not having facility of use of that facility somehow gives you the legitimate right to terminate the agreement so just understand what things are important to you and make sure that um, either they are available or even better to include in the agreement uh, that those particular facilities are important to your uh, to your decision to rent this property and if in the event they're not available that will somehow give you a material reason to uh, to terminate the agreement as I say that, and that kind of brings me to the next point, is um, the form of contract. Mm. Because what we do have in Dubai in particular is there is a template lease agreement. It's, um, it's a template that is provided by the, uh, the land department. And um, so it's a standard form, if you will. And that's the form that ultimately you'll need to register with the government authority. Now, that form is fairly limited in scope in terms of what you, you parties can, can insert into the provisions. But it, it focuses just on the particulars, the, the term of contract, the price and uh, names of the parties and um, perhaps and the form of payment. Now, that form presupposes, and this is a common practice and this is a highly advi- advisable practice, is you can add additional terms and conditions to that lease agreement. And so it will be in this additional uh, lease, um, I guess, addendum to the lease that where you can spell out all these other fir- terms that might be important to you as a tenant uh, and uh, don't accept uh, the perhaps uh, assertion by someone that this is not standard and this is a standard form and it's not possible to add or vary terms. Certainly the law in Dubai says that this is basically what you do unless parties agree otherwise. So parties can always have, uh, are able contractually to agree otherwise. So that's um, so. What not now? You've found a property that you like. You figured out who represents the property. Uh, now you're going through the uh, the lease agreement. So obviously, price, uh, rental price, is an important element, mm. and um, ensure that um, you are comfortable with that price because in a changing market like we have right now, we've seen a lot of people reaching out asking if they can either negotiate down the rent or somehow back out of their agreement because now the rent is uh, continues to soften and perhaps prices are going down, not up. 
so in the past, it was very important for tenants to be able to secure a particular property because the prices kept going up from year to year. And until in Dubai in particular, the legislators introduced a new law limiting uh, the uh, this, the ability for t- landlords to increase rent. Well, now we're having a difference where the, the pendulum has swung in the in the other direction. The prices keep going down, and we've had a lot of uh, a lot of interested tenants wanting to negotiate with our landlords to uh, to renegotiate the price down. Well, that's not really contractually a, a, uh, an argument that's winnable in court. Uh, so don't rely on it. Obviously, you can always negotiate, but it's more likely negotiating for the future, not for the uh, for the current contract. So just make sure that you're comfortable with the price and then uh, discuss with the landlord the form of payment. Uh, in the past, uh, because of the more limited supply and the market was hot for landlords, the practice that developed was that tenants would pay the landlords a rent a year ahead. Mm. So the full rent you'd pay in one go, which obviously was very difficult for many. As market continues to evolve, it's become more two checks, and now it's quite common to actually have 12 checks. Uh, so, and that's an important element of every of every negotiations, and in many cases, landlords prefer to perhaps rent for less, but get one payment versus more checks and higher payments. So, so that's obviously a, a point to discuss. Uh, deposit is a very big uh, issue in, in these kind of relationships, and that uh, there is a customary and again it's not required by law it's more by custom there's a customary deposit um, that's given to the landlord and important to highlight that that deposit is um, is cashed or cashable upon receipt because a lot of a lot of tenants who come from outside of the uae recently they in their mind deposit means you don't really cash it you don't have use of it until the time comes well in this country it doesn't work that way so when you give somebody let's say the landlord a check for deposit he or she will cash it also for a number of reasons but one of which is the check expires after six months so the deposit is usually um, is usually cashable right away there's another important point to make as well. You've mentioned checks a few times, and I think people coming to the UAE would be unfamiliar with the reliance on the post-dated check, but it's worth just explaining that that's really how things have traditionally worked here in the UAE. Yes, and um, so the use, the use of checks, the physical checks, is still quite common. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because a lot of the, the new economies, if you will, uh, like in Asia and Eastern Europe, they sort of leapfrog from the whole use of, of that financial instrument being called checks. Mm. So they don't even know what check is because they just haven't really dealt with it. In the U.S., for example, checks are still very, very heavily used. In, in, in the UAE, they're used, but much less so. But in the context of real estate, yes, mm. they're almost always uh, still relied on. And there are different types of checks. One is a personal check, and that is... Uh, a checkbook that I have and I will write to you, for example, checks that you will cash on the whatever date uh, in the future. But if I don't have funds in the account at that point in time, then you cannot have, you know, basically you have a bounced check. Now that's one form of check. The other one is called a manager's check. A manager's check is, is as good as cash. So in order for me to issue that check to you, I actually have to go to the bank and I have to withdraw that amount of money in order to issue the manager's check. So there are two forms of check in real estate transactions. Manager's checks in in re- rentals are not common. Uh, personal checks are when because of that, 
we, as a, as a law firm, we obviously see a lot of cases where checks are bound and, uh, and parties now have disputes over uh, dishonored checks. So, so that, that does happen, but, um, and this is, but it's common for landlords to ask for checks. Uh, in that are dated or either undated or dated uh, into the future. Uh, I'll make one more comment about checks is just to make sure that whenever you issue checks you always fill in the amount and my preference is always to fill in the date as well. Uh, in the UC practice here in the UAE especially during the real estate boom where checks were just handed over signed but undated and without an amount um, mentioned and created a lot of problems. Checks are the subject for another uh, podcast of Miller. We'll do that at some point for sure. Um, let's go back to agreements. How long does a rental contract last? I'm not trying to ask how long a piece of string is, but I mean, uh, uh, they're generally 12-month annual contracts. Correct. And in Dubai in particular, this is important to, um, to emphasize because there is, as a few years ago, there is a law now that all rental contracts are registered with a government authority called a jari. A jari in Arabic means my contract. But so now, everything else, all the, everything else, all the other services that may be connected to that apartment are based on that, uh, on that registered jari contract. What I mean by that is, for example, you want to now connect your internet or phone line or electricity, DUA, uh, which in Dubai is the uh, Dubai Electron- uh, Electricity and Water Authority. So any one of these services, if you want to connect them, they will need to see your registered contract, not just um, a, sort of a freely negotiated uh, instrument, but actually a form that you get issued when you go to Ijari. Um, so it's, it's a government registered contract. That's very important. And in Ijari, they only really accept, to the, uh, uh, as of now, they only accept contracts that are at least one year in duration. Uh, so shorter-term contracts are not yet registered in Nigeria. There's a different system to deal with shorter-term contracts. Perhaps we can talk in another podcast. But um, uh, as a standard rule, the one-year contract is a standard, and that's because it also linked to government authority that registers them and the requirement from them. So that's and it's interesting because in other countries we often see practice of signing contracts for residential contracts for more than one year. In this country still to this day, the practice is such that it's usually limited to one year. Mm -hmm. So even though you can do for three years and five years, uh, but uh, for some reason perhaps, uh, because historically it has sort of developed so, but it's still most of the contracts and people mentally are only prepared to sign a contract for one year. You mentioned services just now, and I wanted to point out uh, with relation to DWA, Dubai Electricity and Water Authority, they will require a deposit, and that depends on the size or uh, location uh, of where you are. Plus, um, there is also the 5% housing fee, which is a municipality tax, and that's collected against your registered Ijari rental contract. Yes, uh, two important points. One is that whenever you connect any of these services to your property, it's true that you need to establish accounts with yeah. the various service providers, and as part of that, there's always a deposit that's required to be to be lodged with those authorities. So it would be DIWA, internet, uh, or district cooling, which is the Dubai's form of air conditioning. You always need to put a deposit. That's one important consideration for, for tenants to keep in mind that you have 
a framework of what upfront costs will be for you to just move into a new property. And this is also perhaps why in many cases today it's easier for tenants to renegotiate with their current landlords and move to a different property because every time they they move to a new property there's just a new set of deposits that are required and and then then you also need to go through the motion of trying to claim deposits back uh, for the previous property so it's in many cases for some tenants it makes sense to just carry on so that you don't have to go through the uh, through the process of issuing new checks and payments uh, so yes, yeah, so deposit is an important an important element. It continues on for many many of the services that we benefit here from. And then the other one is, as you mentioned, DIWA, which mm. is the Dubai uh, Electricity and Water Authority, and the five percent that they apply. This is a practice that was introduced many many years ago, and that's basically a municip- municipality tax, if you will. So. Uh, and it's uh, being collected by DIWA. So it's not really related to your usage of electricity, it's just being collected uh, by this particular authority. And the municipality tax is 5% of your annual rent. Important to highlight is that this 5% even applies if you own property. So if you own property, you still have to pay the 5%. Well, what's the 5% of a property that you own? Then in that case, the authority takes the market value of, of a similar property and applies a 5% on that basis. Uh, and, that's, uh, and that's most of the time, it depends on location of the property, but most of the time it's being billed to you through your DIWA bill. So it's not sort of a separate payment that you have to pay, but it's kind of on an ongoing basis, you have to pay it to um, DIWA. Uh, so that's yeah, that's an important element uh, to keep in mind because um, we've also seen cases where certain communities are not yet subject to that five percent municipality, and the question often is, well, should we be concerned in the event once that service is introduced, will we be responsible to pay retroactively for it? So let's assume that your electricity is switched on, you have air conditioning, your high-speed internet's in place, you're happily ensconced in a new apartment, you've got access to the pool, everything's going swimmingly. What if it doesn't go swimmingly? Excuse the rather awful pun there. What protection do you have as somebody renting an apartment if things do change in some way? And by the same token, what rights do landlords have if a situation turns out? Generally speaking, both parties have rights and, and that protect under the law. But obviously this depends on the underlying framework of the relationship because often the important elements, as I mentioned earlier, the important elements of what um, their, I guess, expected agreement are not often documented in the underlying agreement. And so therefore, if a tenant now has an issue with a property and considers that particular issue being a material element to their enjoyment of the property, and uh, but it's not in the contract, it's a harder argument to make. So in that case, they may feel that they are the law is not being just, but it's not because the law is not being just, is that the agreement was not clearly or was not expressly drafted to reflect the intention of, uh, of the party. So, but but if you have agreements that are, were well negotiated and well drafted and um, the parties are on the same page, the law protects both parties. From the tenant's perspective, let's say, let's say we're in the middle of the summer and the AC has been switched off for whatever reason. There is an argument, and it's, it's, it's a valid and a serious argument, that when in this part of the world, in the middle of the summer, when AC is switched off, you truly cannot use the property. So the property becomes uninhabitable. 
Now, there's a provision in the law, and it's, it's um, also subject to the federal law on, on interpretation of contracts, the validity of contracts, is that when a contract becomes, so the, the objective of the contract is not met, then you have the right as a, as a party to it to withdraw from it. And that is, let's say if I rented property, obviously I, I expect for it to have AC, air conditioning, and if it doesn't, then that does give me a legitimate right to terminate the agreement. Uh, so that is uh, one example. Then, uh, in one other element for the for the tenants in particular is just in the agreement, do agree on who pays for the maintenance because maintenance is always a big issue of a lot of uh, properties, and this is all where where a lot of discontent comes from from tenants and landlords. So tenants in particular, well, you know, we have this issue, and the landlords like, well, we didn't agree. I'm not going to fix this issue. So maintenance is a very big issue, and most of the time, they're not the the uh, the provision on maintenance is not very well spelled out. So this is where a lot of discontent comes from. While I don't have, I don't have, for example, a nice lobby, or the lobby is still under construction, and I, I don't like this. I want the landlord to fix it, for example. Well, this is again, if it's not in the contract, and if it does not interfere with your enjoyment of the property, it will be a difficult argument to make. But maintenance in general, it's really in the benefit of both parties that that particular provision and concept is clearly thought through, talked through, and agreed on. So which issues, maintenance issues, the landlord should be responsible for, and which ones the tenant. And in the event the landlord is not available there at that point in time to fix a particular issue, uh, does the does the tenant have the right to fix it on his or her own and how the compensation is going to work so this is really important and in most cases we do not see that level of details so but otherwise the the tenant is protected and it's the landlord cannot unilaterally change the contract the landlord cannot unilaterally not renew the contract uh, and or can in the landlord cannot just enter the property uh, physically, so I mean, this is just the general kind of protections that a tenant would care about. From the landlord standpoint, uh, they also have um, protection based on once again on the, the real estate laws and also contract law. So whatever is in the contract. So obviously, if you're renting out your property, you're renting it out for a certain amount on certain conditions. And so, if those conditions are not met at some point in time, or the salary, uh, the, the lease is not being paid then you have the right to, to challenge that contract in court and perhaps rescind the contract and seek compensation. So that's all very well provided for in the law. And in Dubai, we have um, the um, uh, sort of the, the rent, court, uh, rent court, or RDC, the Rental Dispute Center. Mm. Uh, so it's our version of a rental court. Uh, and, they, which, and they're quite efficient and approachable. Uh, so and they've seen so many of these cases and so they you can address your cases um, with them fairly efficiently uh, so the protection is there but uh, make sure that uh, if you do have a case that you actually bring it yourself because so often we hear complaints from both landlords and tenants that well the lender is not is not paying for the service fees and I'm going to go and I'm going to complain to the regulatory authority well that's not the right forum to complain so if you have an issue with one or the other party nobody else is going to bring a case on your behalf you have to go and you have to lodge a case uh, so one more comment from the land landlord standpoint important to highlight is that let's say 
let's say you have a tenant who is now in default of paying rent. That in and of itself does not give you the right to repossess the property. So that's where it's, it's important to understand, but it's not unreasonable and it's quite common in other parts of the world for many obvious reasons, but it's, it's really important. And we've seen a lot of landlords quite upset and for legitimate reasons, they have a, just a rogue tenant who is squatting the property, just not paying rent. What do you do? You cannot just come in and repossess the property, take the keys uh, or change the, key, the lock. Uh, you actually have to, in order to evict properly, you need to have a court order. That also applies if, for example, your tenant has left the property and you know the property is vacant. If you want to do things by the book and if you want to be careful and cautious, then again, you cannot re-enter that property without the court order. And usually, and the court order will have to be combined with enforcement proceedings, which will include uh, getting police involved when you do enter that property and the reasons for that is imagine you don't know what that tenant did in your property and 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 what if the tenant had some valuables now you go and you repossess the property and then you'll have a claim against you that while well, there was these some great valuables and you've stolen them how are you going to prove that mm-hmm. right or for example if there are some kind of improper activities that took place in the property and you enter now and so you just want to make sure that you have somebody, an independent or a government official, to document the state of the property when you go in there. So that's sort of the reason why the process is what it is. But it certainly provides a lot of discontent, uh, discontent to the landlords when they're not getting paid and they're not can, they cannot rent out the property. Uh, and in the meantime, they have to pay money, additional money, to lawyers and, and courts to try to secure this court judgment. Uh, but that's a system that exists in most other jurisdictions. So more or less, the rental laws in the UAE are evenly uh, drafted. Ludmilla Yamalaba is the managing partner of the Dubai-based law firm Yamalaba and Plethka. As ever, thanks for your time. Always a pleasure to be chatting with you, Tim. Thank you. That's it for another edition of the Logical Podcast. Don't forget, if there is a specific question that you need an answer to, get in touch via lylawyers.com or any of our social channels, and we'll try to answer it in a future edition of Logical. Now, next time on the Logical Podcast, we'll be discussing that most important of principles, estate planning.